Chapter thirty one of Mad Barbara by Warwick Deeping. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter thirty one. John Gore made his retreat from Thorn with nothing more threatening in the way of a betrayal than a low, querulous growl from the mastiff chained in the yard. He scaled the gate and made his way back to the thorn tree where he had left his heavier clothes and his sword. Now the sea captain's brain might have been a Spanish treasure ship and the happenings of the night so many buccaneers by the way they stormed in and put everything to confusion there were a hundred questions to be asked and answered and many of them were the worst of riddles the night sky seemed full of new meanings new mysteries new secrets and thorn itself a strange dim place where the heart of a man might lose itself in wonder yet one truth shone out like a great star above the tower steady and sure amid so many drifting clouds he had found the girl with the white face and the dusky hair and learned that she was no more mad than he was and for that he gave god thanks but setting the romance and the tenderness thereof aside for a moment john gore found himself face to face with some very sinister and savage questions plodding back over the grass toward the beech thicket where he had left his horse he began to scan the past as he walked beating up memories with the keenness of a lawyer sifting evidence why had they mewed the girl up in this ruin of place why had they lied to him about her madness what had they to fear from her that they had made such a secret of the thing barbara herself had seemed haunted by some hidden anguish some mysterious dread that had made her shudder at the simplest question he recalled all that he had heard concerning her, the mystery of her father's death, her moodiness and silence, the fears my lord had expressed as to her state of mind. He retold, piece by piece, the tale his father had told him on the night of his return from Yorkshire in September. Why had they gotten her into their power, made some pretense of madness, and shut her up with such keepers, and at the mercy of a ruffian's fist? the inevitable answer was that barbara had discovered some secret that my lord gore and her mother were fiercely compelled to conceal it had not been madness on her part but perhaps too much knowledge that had led them to seize such sinister methods as for the secret itself the core and pith of the whole mystery he could only recall the tale his father had told him and knit his brows over it like a man meeting the sleet of a storm now john gore was a man of action and as such laid his plans that night he was going to take barbara out of thorn for all the plots and intrigues and miserable shadows of shame the whole world might boast there was the fellow grills to be dealt with his father's creature and though his heart smote him at the thought of it he was grimly determined to lose no chance whatever authority the man might have he might at least be robbed of information captain grills would probably spend the night at thorn and might be dealt with when he sallied out in the morning a night watch in the woods opened for john gore he and his horse would have to make the best of such quarters as they had the shelter of the beeches and the litter of leaves and bracken john gore swung himself into the fork of a tree and wrapping his cloak about him sat looking toward thorn his heart full of the night's adventures the darker thoughts drifted aside for a season and he thought only of the woman whose womanhood meant so much to him he found himself wondering at the change in her 
for never before had she shown her true self to him with its flood of pathos simplicity and passion a few moments at a window a touch of the hands and they were sharing life and its impulses together he thought of the long cold nights in that tower room the loneliness the forebodings the burden of past sorrow it was easy to understand how the less lovable pride in her had been broken and how with tears her womanhood had come by its true strength the very sound of her voice had seemed richer to him the change in her was a change that no true man would ever quarrel with though mists rose and a frail moon came up to make the dark woods seem more raw and cold john gore kept watch all night in the fork of the beech tree thinking of barbara and of the strange things he had discovered he saw the dawn steal slowly into the east and with the first grey light thereof the flutter of something white at the upper window of the tower but with the day and the sound of the stirring birds john gore came down out of the beech tree for there was work before him and he had made his plans there were his pistols to be cleaned and primed his horse to be given a canter for both their sakes and a crop at the grass in the forest ride he still had some victuals left him and john gore made a meal under the tree where he had spent the night keeping an eye on thorn for a glimpse of captain grills nor had the gossamer and the dew shone for long in the sunlight before he saw a horseman ride out from the gate of thorn and push on slowly toward the forest track captain grills was jogging along peacefully that morning thinking of such things as a man thinks of when he feels fat and warm the money he is making the clever things he may have done or the woman he happens to fancy for the moment when he heard the sound of a horse's hoofs sucking wet grass and the creak and jingle of harness the track had broadened into an open place with a number of greater oak trees spreading their branches over it so that they made a golden dome with the turf green and sleek beneath a man on horseback appeared suddenly amid the oak trees riding at a canter under the sweeping boughs with his hat over his eyes as though to save his face from the hazel twigs of the track the stranger bore down straight on captain grills though that worthy shouted lustily and tried to get his horse out of the path and even before he could curse the clumsy folly of the thing his horse went down like a rammed wall throwing him heavily and crushing one leg badly under his flank captain grills was stunned and lay there on his back with his mouth open a great gobby of wet mud on his forehead his nag picked himself up shook himself till the harness rattled and then stood quietly staring at the stranger who had blundered into him like a cavalry horse at the charge john gore was out of the saddle and bending over captain grills the fellow was far from dead though conveniently senseless john gore opened his coat searched his pockets and found in a brown leather pocket-book a little package about the size of a man's palm wrapped in a piece of paper that looked like the torn-out fly-leaf of a book the packet was tied up with worsted and roughly sealed john gore took the thing slipping the leather pocket-book back again into its place then he turned his attention to captain grill's horse taking out that gentleman's pistols scattering the powder and rubbing wet mud into the pans he searched the holsters and the saddle-bags but found nothing but a pipe and a paper of tobacco some food a change of undergear and a bottle of wine he had put the things back again when captain grills came to his senses and sat up 
with the first clearing of his wits he had laid a hand to his bruised ankle and began to swear like a buccaneer at the man who had ridden into him so clumsily teeth and hair of the almighty you blind sot of a jackass isn't there enough road for you to ride to blazes without blundering into better men than yourself what the devil do you mean by it you sussex clod you bumpkin you lousy yeoman give us a hand can't you wet grass ain't anything of a cushion especially when a man has no change of small clothes with him he glanced at john gore but did not seem to recognize him and getting upon his feet limped to and fro a while cursing then he began slapping his pockets with his hands to make sure that his purse and pocket-book were there looking at john gore the while out of the corners of his eyes i have not had anything in the way of an apology yet sir he said john gore lifted his hat watching captain grills carefully to see whether his lack of recognition was a blind or no he remembered that he had had the collar of his coat turned up that night in the park and that he himself might not have recognized grills but for the wryness of his figure most certainly i offer you my apologies sir i was in a hurry and had taken a bridle track having business hastings way by eight john gore coarsened himself to the likeness of a gentleman farmer in his best clothes you will crack your skull and spill your business if you ride about in such fashion we sussex folk have hard heads and no manners either quoth the man in the brown coat glancing rather threateningly at the pistol-holders on his saddle he limped up to his horse and examined the saddle-bag to see that his things were there then he jammed his hat down on his head looked sourly at his muddy clothes and passed a hand over the wettest portion of his figure a nice start for a thirty-mile ride i shall have to bait somewhere and dry my breeches a day in the saddle then tunbridge to-night london to-morrow he put his foot in the stirrup and climbed up heavily grunting and swearing to ease his temper i wish you a clear road sir he said with sarcasm you would do well to lead a charge of horse i can only assure you of my regrets my dear sir we farmer gentry ride fast when there is a marriage to be arranged captain grills tilted his nose green youth green youth he said sententiously in ten years my lad you will break your neck riding to be rid of the sweet thing's temper let the blood be hot for a month or two till she begins to scold in bed instead of kissing john gore laughed you are a man of experience sir well i must not waste your time or my own the man in the brown coat went away with a jeer spend your time on a wife my lad and you'll waste it learn to spend it on other men's wives steal the kisses and leave them the scratches good morning to you sir i wish i had some spare small clothes to lend you they'll dry in the saddle master numskull or i'll sit with my back to the next fire i come across and he went off at a trot into the autumn woods john gore led his horse aside among the oak trees and proceeded to examine the package that he had taken from captain grills on the paper was roughly scrawled my lord and breaking the seal and the worsted he found nothing more astonishing than a mass of wool pressed tightly together but as he unravelled the stuff he came upon something hard that glistened a gold ring set with a seal and bound round with a piece of red silk the seal was an intaglio cut in sardonyx a gorgon's head with a hand holding a firebrand above it john gore knew it to be his father's signet ring 
and this circle of gold with its seal cast out all doubt as to my lord's authority in the matter that ring might carry his father's orders to and fro without his compromising himself by putting pen to paper john gore wondered what the piece of red silk meant the message it carried might have some sinister meaning for the mystery and the secrecy of it all had drawn many dark thoughts into his mind how far would captain grills ride before discovering the loss of the packet would he return or ride on ahead for london above all what message had he carried to thorn and had his coming foreshadowed some peril for barbara john gore had thought of holding captain grills at the pistol point and forcing a confession from him but he had realized the rashness of such a measure nor could he have proved that the rogue was telling him the truth captain grills might be a mere dispatch rider knowing nothing of the news he carried it would be wiser to let him go his way without his discovering who was meddling in the plot john gore put the ring upon his finger mounted his horse and made for the main road he needed a place where he could lie quiet and people whom he could trust and furs farm was such a place he made for it that morning guided by the shouts of a man whom he found ploughing in a field and before noon he rode down the grass track that mr pepys had followed and saw the red farmhouse the dark thatch the yellow stacks and the golden beeches against a breezy sky as he came riding by chris jennifer's orchard he saw mrs winnie hanging linen out to dry while white polled will paddled round the pond and surreptitiously threw sticks at the white ducks thereon mrs winnie's blue petticoat was blowing merrily and she had a clothes-peg in her mouth when john gore called to her over the hedge she dropped the peg suddenly while the wind blew an apron across her face good morning mrs jennifer drat the clothes who be it this time o the morning and me with a short petticoat on she flicked the apron aside settled her skirts and came round under a great apple tree with a few pullets running at her heels good morning mrs jennifer sakes alive is it you sir yes come to ask you a favour you had better keep an eye on that boy of yours he still seems in love with the pond she moved along the hedge smoothing her brown hair down and showing the muscle in her big brown arms come in sir and be welcome will will you little from it what be you doing there terrifying all of us with puddling round in the mud she opened the gate for john gore and gave him a courtesy for winnie jennifer had served as a woman in a great house and her manners and her speech were less quaint than mr christopher's come in sir my man will be up from the ploughland soon dinner will be coming though it be only rough stuff john gore dismounted and made mrs winnie a slight bow you offered me your good will he said frankly and i have come to take it as a friend he led his horse toward the stable while chris jennifer's wife bustled into the house putting washing-day behind her with good-natured patience john gore found her going into the little old parlour with her apron full of sticks but he protested that the kitchen inglenook would do for him and that he liked the smell of dinner so he sat himself down in the nook under the hood of the great fireplace stretching his legs out to the fire and wondering what he would say to christopher jennifer's wife there was a pot boiling over the fire and mrs winnie began to gather her flour and things upon the table for the making of a pudding 
she took a great pot of preserves from a cupboard and set to work very sensibly in her practical brown-armed way if i had known sir i wouldn't have put an old one in the pot old one one of the old hens sir they're not so bad when you boil em i'll make up some herb sauce to help the old lady down now whether it was the warmth of the fire or the frank freshness of mrs winnie's manner john gore found himself telling her enough of the truth to set the woman in her heartily at his service she forgot her pudding in her sympathy even so far as to stir the air with a wooden spoon and to spill jam upon the table john gore had come to the pith of the matter when he saw her flourish the spoon threateningly in the direction of the backyard door will you little spying rogue get you out and look for the eggs there ain't none came the retort do birds be molten don't answer me young man do what i tell ye and she made a step forward that sent the youngster running for fear of the spoon mrs winnie turned to her pudding casting a look now and again at the grim brown-faced man in the inglenook you move me powerful sir as sure as i love my man sir coming to him as a clean maid as i did with all my linen and my savings if it be no liberty on my part i'll ask to serve you as you please come into this house as yours sir come and go and we'll ask no questions my man and i will thank god for it that we can give you service for what you did john gore felt that he could trust her and mrs winnie had no less trust in him she was a shrewd woman with some knowledge of the world in her own blunt way and more sentiment and warmth in her than one would have guessed by the masterfulness of her manner i shall be very grateful to you said the man simply why there sir it's little enough there shan't be any poking of noses round first farm i can tell you that i have a tongue and a tongue and, and my man is a man of sense order your own going sir and we'll just mind our business she could not have shown her good sense or her honour better than by taking the matter as she did but when john gore spoke of his more tangible debt to her she stirred the pudding hard and would have none of his protests no sir we have got good crops in three milking cows a yard full of pullets all stuff off our own ground it's just our own stuff and we shall thank you to eat of it though it be a bit rough and not puffed up for a gentleman's table charge you sixpence when we kill a chicken or a penny when i take a bowl of apples down out of the attic dear life sir not me my hands aren't made that way chris jennifer came in about dinner-time heralding his approach by kicking his muddy boots against the stone step at the yard door he came in and received john gore and his wife's orders without so much as a blink of surprise he stared hard at his guests for half a minute or so and then took a big jug from the shelf over the fireplace i'll tap new cast he said as though that would be his warmest welcome put some apples to siddle my dear suppose they'll be air and best sheets go on with you said his wife bluntly do you think i be one to forget such a thing mr jennifer lumbered round to her stood by her solemnly a moment and then gave her a very deliberate dig under the arm Woman stole gentleman adam's rib mindings be mendings and he went off with a chuckle toward the pantry leaving john gore to disentangle the meaning of so solemn a jest End of chapter thirty one